and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Thrupier, on another magical, maniacal Monday for Torch Report 482, Understanding Taxation Without representation. Friends, why is it that this threat of taxation without representation has reverberated throughout the halls of history? We're going to dig into that a little bit today. It was actually uh, spurred partly by an article I saw out today talking about how the U.S. is funding, you know, basically the majority of the United Nations and the globalist apparatus. So, uh, that bugs me and I want to get into the details of that today. But today, uh, I get into the details of that more this week, but for today, I want to kind of flesh out the the uh, the deeper philosophical side of it. So just bear with me a little bit here, right? Last week, I wrapped up the week with the friendly reminder that once upon a time, taxation without representation had led a few brave souls to launch a revolution that changed the course of history forever. And I opined at the time that we are well past the point of taxation without representation at this point in history. And at some point, sometimes, maybe history needs to repeat itself, if you know what I mean, right? So today... I want to peel back these layers of implication just a little bit. Why was taxation without representation a sufficient catalyst to foment the American Revolution? Why? You know, why were those few brave souls so willing to fight and die for their cause? What was it that compelled them to risk everything, to risk everything and strike back against their government abusers? Why? You know, how did they manage to overcome the, you know, the superior occupying force, the British? You know, they had troops, they had money, they had the power of the crown. You know, what did they do about the very real threat of public opinion being turned and used against them? In short, friends... How did the seeds of freedom ever manage to bloom? And perhaps more importantly, really before we we contemplate such curiosities, I think we must ask the pressing question. Has the time come to rise up and cast off the shackles of tyranny? Do our current circumstances justify such a revolutionary level rectification? Friends, I want to just read a little bit here from the opening lines of our Declaration of Independence. I think it's important to stay grounded in historical fact. You know, nothing extreme here. Let's just read from our own founding documents. When we do, we learn, quote, When in the course of human events... It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Period. End quote. (laughs) You know, this truth is etched in stone. Uh, 
it's fascinating how timeless the truths encapsulated in the Declaration of Independence are. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for people to dissolve political bands. It's not if it becomes necessary, it's when it becomes necessary. And the question is, is now such a time? You know, when it comes time, then people need to rise up and explain that reason that impels them to create this separation. What the separation is, really, is to rise up and claim the equal station as human beings. According to the laws of nature, no one is our ruler, okay? So, when in the course of history, in the course of events, it becomes necessary to dissolve the political bonds, there needs to be a reasonable explanation. All right, I get it, you know? I think about the... Uh, the myriad movements in California, Oregon, Washington, etc., they've cropped up wherein, you know, rural communities, rural counties are banding together and entertaining the idea of declaring their own independence to separate the political ties uh, to the state capitals, right? But these, these rural areas want to declare their independence from the tyranny of mob rule that is being facilitated through the corrupt state capitals. And in each instance, I believe they offer a reasonable explanation. However, their reasonable explanation falls upon deaf ears. Nobody in the capital cares, right? The majority of citizens don't care. They're, they're apathetic. They're complacent. You know, most people are simply too comfortable to care, let alone take the drastic step of engaging in meaningful political pushback, getting out on the street, beating the street, knocking on doors, handing out flyers, you know, pushing the conversation. We need to reclaim local control, local representative government, and free ourselves from the shackles of tyranny stemming from the policies coming, on, uh, coming down from on high, right? Stemming from the state capital. Uh, but that's not going to happen because most people are too apathetic and complacent. And as a result, those who feel as if they are being ignored and they are being oppressed and being taxed to oblivion without any meaningful state-level representation, let alone federal representation, those of us in that camp, friends, are continually being pressed into that tightening crevice between the proverbial rock and a hard place. What recourse does rural America have? If the state capitals won't listen, if we, if we try to rouse the, the crowd and say, hey, 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 wait, time out, look, you know, and it just falls on deaf ears, people are complacent, apathetic. What recourse does rural America have? Friends, we are outnumbered by the metropolitan mobs. You know, the, the, the majority of those in the cities who live so woefully out of touch with reality. They live in a bubble of carefully tendered distraction, insulated from the reality that besets us and generally unaware of the dark and nefarious plots that are converging upon us right this very moment in time. Now... I acknowledge here that I'm speaking in generalities. Not everybody who lives in a city is a, uh, you know, flaming liberal or not everybody who lives in a city has their head buried up their ass any more than anyone, everyone in the country is a conservative, liberty-loving conservative, or that everyone in the country somehow has this, you know, this prescient ability to see things as they are. That's not true, and I'm not trying, intending to imply that. But these factors, uh, as, as a general rule, these factors are affecting 
all of us, regardless of where we live, across the Fruited Plains. I put a little map in the report today, friends. Hey, if you're listening on a podcast platform, please know you just have to go to thetorchreport.com. Thetorchreport.com is where you will find this spiffy little map here, and it has all of the counties, red and blue, from the 2020 election. And the question is, when you look at the map, and you see vast swaths of the country uh, in red, little tiny specks here and there in blue, why isn't the red team running this country? Obviously, we're the majority of the country, so why isn't the red team running the country? And the simple answer is because we are outnumbered by idiots. (laughs) Friends, the idiots living in the big blue cities. They believe that they know what is best for everyone else, again, all across the Fruited Plains. They believe, the idiots in the big blue cities, believe they have the right to decree any form of tax that they want, to fund any sort of program that they want, or to pass any sort of, you know, restrictive ordinance that they want, simply because they live in a big, shiny city. Whoop! effing do. It's as if somehow living in a big city makes them more powerful and wise than the ignorant rural peasantry. <laughs> Friends, don't think for a second that's not how they think. That's uh, a large part while I said why I self-identify as an ignorant peasant, okay? I prefer rural living. I've lived in big cities, but I prefer the small town life, and there's reasons for that. I'm not going to get into today, but did you know, fun fact here, Uh, there are less than 10 cities in the United States of America that have more than 1 million people in them. Less than 10 cities in the entire country have more than 1 million people in them. Fascinating, isn't it? I find it fascinating. You know that we remain, even today in the year 2023, a mostly rural nation. And our constitution was actually written to protect rural Americans from the creeping tyranny of mob rule. That constitution, put differently, is written to protect those living in small town USA from those living in the big, glistening, liberal cesspools that were once great American cities. So thus, in theory, the law of the land should provide us not only with protection from government tyranny, but with a clear path to rectify any sort of perversion or imbalance of power. That's the theory. However, uh, these straightforward facts that we are mostly a rural nation and that the Constitution was written to protect us from the uh, tyranny of mob rule, these straightforward facts do not account for the changing uh, atmosphere, shall we say, for the corruption of the elections, for the proliferation of propaganda and public programming, public programming via the mass media, social media, etc. And of course, it doesn't account for the subsequent lack of appetite for any sort of conflict amongst the American people, right? The masses have been dumbed down and domesticated. They are docile. They defer. They cower in fear of being judged. Oh, don't call me names, you know. They, they cower in fear of being penalized, of being publicly shamed or ostracized. They live not only in fear of their peers, they live in fear not just of the government, but in fear of their peers because they have been trained to believe that the government exists to protect them from the meanness of other people. 
They view the government as a benevolent protector. That is night and day different from the way that people uh, viewed the government, the perspective on government when our when the Declaration of Independence was declared, when the Constitution was written. Totally different, okay? But now, people are more afraid of their peers than they are of the government because they believe the government's going to protect them from other people's meanness, you know? And I think it's worth noting, actually, that, that even in the original colonies, you know, there are a lot of people in the original colonies who viewed the crown the same way. The crown was like this benevolent protector because that's the way the crown portrayed itself. And they would be back, you know, there were some, many of the original colonists, they, they were willing to snitch out and undermine the American rebels because they believed that the American rebels were wrong for trying to cast off the tyranny of the crown. And really there are two things kind of, I want to pull out here, two things that are running parallel to today. Uh, one, the domestication of men who have lost the appetite to fight. Now, it was true that back then there were many people who didn't have an appetite to fight, but there were more men who did, and they did rise up, and they did cast out the tyrants. Now, the second thing running parallel here is the domestication of the masses who see the government as a protector. And again, just how there were... Uh, people, maybe the majority of people even, who saw the crown as the protector, this domestication of the masses now with the with the advent of modern technology and media, there are many, many, many more people who see the government as a protector, more now than ever before. But both of these factors together, the domestication of men who have lost the appetite to fight and the domestication of the masses who see the government as a protector, they stand as obstacles to overcoming the tyranny of our time. Today, many young men would rather play a video game and fight in the virtual world, you know, fighting for virtual rewards and ding, 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 they get points or something. I don't know, you know. Uh, and simultaneously, of course, they're being pacified and programmed to accept dependence upon the government as their means for actual sustenance and survival. And they would rather do that than engage in any sort of direct confrontation or conflict. Does that make sense? You know, they, the, the, the young men of today, they lack any incentive, let alone the spine to stand against tyranny, but they lack any incentive. They don't, they won't even stand up, you know, they won't even stand up against the gangbangers and all the bad guys who are bullying and abusing and beating on innocent people and beating up elderly ladies out in broad daylight, you know? These cowards will never fight against anything because they've been trained not to fight, okay? They've been trained not to fight back. So they don't realize what's going on. And I think the older generation would be wise to weigh out what that means exactly as it relates to the need for any sort of revolutionary solutions to the current situation. Now, if you're waiting for the young men of today to buck up and set things straight, I'm here to tell you, it just ain't gonna happen. It ain't gonna happen. Now, these young men today, they don't realize that 
taxation without representation is, in fact, tyranny. They don't realize that nobody has the right to take your money and tell you what to do. They don't realize that the government does not have all of the authority that the government currently claims to have. They don't realize that the Constitution is meant to restrict the government from violating our God-given rights, and the Second Amendment guarantees our ability to do so, to keep and, uh, to keep and bear arms in order to protect our rights. But not just our rights, friends, the rights of others, the rights of our communities. Uh, keep that in mind. We have a right to fight back. Such are the laws of nature. The only form of just power that the government has stems directly from the consent of the governed. That is, from the consent and the acceptance of we the people, of the citizens. There is no justice, there is no just power when the government comes in and says, give me your money and do what we say or else. Friends, that is not just government. That is not just power. That is not just authority. The government does not have the authority to do that, regardless of whether or not people believe they do or not. They just don't, period. But, 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 but Luke, come on, it's the law. They have the law, right? The law is on their side, right? You know, wrong. Friends, what is the law really? You know, what is the law really? Is, is the law whatever anyone makes it out to be? That, that's kind of what it looks like these days, right? I mean, the law is fickle and fleeting. You know, lawyers and judges, they disagree about the law. Different courts provide different opinions. They disagree about the law. Even the Supreme Court of the land routinely changes its interpretations, and so they disagree about the law. So what is the law again? Is the law the authority for the government to take your money and tell you what to do? Well. Obviously not, unless, of course, you believe that the law is the, the authority for the government to take your money and tell you what to do, or if the government has, has coerced you with fear to accept such tyranny. But it is taxation without representation, is it not? When the government takes your money and tells you what to do, that's taxation without representation. Now, there's a passage in the Declaration of Independence, uh, I believe, that really speaks to what's going on here. It says, and I quote, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms of government to which they have become accustomed. So it's, I mean, it's not so bad, right? I mean, come on, you know, dude, just sit out, shut up, pay your taxes, right? I mean, come on, just, just give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Just give them your money and do what they say, all right? I mean, come on, you don't want to end up in a fight, right? Wrong! <laughs> Friends, we are suffering from a long train of abuses and usurpations. Our government is pursuing the same invariable object, total control, the unlimited authority over every aspect of our lives. They have designed a system, a global system, no less, that intends to reduce our stature to that of tax-paying slaves, as opposed to the equal station afforded to each of us by the laws of nature, and they are implementing this system of absolute despotism all around the world. And you know what, friends? We do have the right to fight back. We do have the right to cast off the shackles of tyranny, to abolish, which means to utterly destroy. We have the right to abolish any form of government that aims to directly interfere with our life, liberty, and personal pursuit of happiness. Are we not there now? Are we not 
there now. Friends, these truths were penned long ago by men who knew what they meant. And they were penned to remind all future generations of our birthrights and to put authoritarian regimes on notice that the human spirit has been set free. That was the founding vision of America. And I believe it's time that we revive that vision. The red team is losing because the enemy keeps changing the rules. The red team is losing because there are too few people who are willing to fight back. The red team is losing because people are scared of the government, scared to rock the Boat, scared to make a stand. The red team is losing because most people don't realize the liberties that they've already lost. The red team is losing because the evils are still sufferable. But friends, I have a question for you. What if the evils are always sufferable? What if the enemy realizes that if they only push us so far, then the people will adjust? What if the enemy realizes that once people adjust their per- perspectives change, they get comfortable, and they settle back down into these newly contrived routines. And what if the enemy is right? What if the majority of people never get uncomfortable enough to make a stand? What if instead they are lulled into slavery, into accepting state censorship and surveillance and tyranny and the, you know, the inevitable chaos that ensues? Friends, what if people never woke up? I believe that is the direction that we're headed. I believe that the cities are already there. And if the peasants don't wise up, if the peasants don't rise up soon, these despots are going to win for good. And therefore, resist we must. And that is the message of my heart for today, friends. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take the time to go to the website, thetortureport.com. Find the heart, click the heart, give me some love. Subscribe if you have not subscribed already. And of course, the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace this magical, maniacal Monday. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.